My name is John Omerchata, and this is the Gunpod Plot Show, also known as the Guy Fox Podcast. And this is my Wednesday night special, Protocol Series. Tonight we'll be covering Protocol Number 10. Speaking somewhat silently because I have family in town and not a lot of space in my house to talk loudly. So, to begin... And unfortunately, I don't have all of uh, my fun intros, but uh, next time, certainly. To begin, today I begin with a repetition of what I said before, and I beg you to bear in mind that governments and peoples are content in the political with outside appearances, and how indeed are the goyim to perceive the underlying meaning of things when their representatives give the best of their energies to enjoying themselves. For our policy, it is the greatest importance or of the greatest importance to take cognizance of this detail. It will be of assistance to us when we come to consider the division of authority, freedom of speech, of the press, of religion, in quotations, faith, of the, f- of the law of association, of equality before the law, of the inviolability of, pr- of property, of the dwelling, of taxation, in parentheses, the idea of concealed taxes, of the reflex force of the laws. All these questions are such as ought to not be touched upon directly and openly before the people. In cases where it is indispensable to touch upon them, they must not be categorically named. It must merely be declared without detailed exposition that the principles of contemporary law are acknowledged by us. The reason of keeping silence in this respect is that by not naming a principle, we leave ourselves freedom of action to drop this or that out of it without attracting notice. If they were all categorically named, they would all appear to have been already given. I understand in reading some of these how boring it can maybe sound. But understand that this protocol is severely important and applicable to what we are seeing today and what we've seen within the past year, certainly. Now, of this first long paragraph, um, a couple of things to break down from it. Um, They're stating here that people are content with the show, um, the faith and the illusion of safety. How are, and and they're even um, acknowledging, I guess is the word, uh, the idea that how are we to be told the truth when our politicians are hiding it from us in order to enjoy the benefits of power for themselves? Um, in a way, it's to say that ignorance is bliss to the sheeping to the sleeping sheep. Um, this is all something that they know to take advantage of. When it comes to our laws, freedoms or liberties, our faith, etc., all of the things that would produce resistance and freedom of thought, they must always distract us from the issues at hand because their intent is malevolent and it shows thoroughly in their stances so that they can slither away from attention. Their worry is attention in this. It's it's to be known, and they state that later in this protocol. Second paragraph. The mob cherishes a special affection and respect for the geniuses of political power and accepts all their deeds of violence with the admiration, admiring response. And this is in quotations. Rascally, well, yes, it is rascally, but it's clever, so it's as to say that uh, that's how we see it. Also, a trick, if you like, 
but how craftily played, how magnificently done, what impudent audacity. So it's to say that they, in their point of view, see us. Oh, how is it? How can I describe this? That this is what we think of them, right? This is how they see themselves through our eyes. That although they do something that may be abhorrent and brutal, um, we'll still give them the benefit of the doubt because they're the leaders of our team. And we'll give them a pass, essentially. Um, and breaking this second paragraph down, uh, political genius in this is to say their parties or biases. Um, this is, a, again, why I don't join a party. What they're talking about in this is essentially subconscious swaying. Um, and through that, uh, the people who are affected by this subconscious swaying, they turn blind eyes to their side's atrocities. And we do. Uh, think about it when you're watching a, a sporting event of some sort and you're on uh, or supporting your, your side, right? If the other team commits some kind of um, violation against yours, uh, you're, you're overly, um, sensitive to it, right? You'll want the referees to call it out. But if your guy does it, you'll give him a pass. This is the problem with politics and government, uh, especially with how large, um, here in the States anyway, our two main political parties are and, uh, what they can get away with because of this. Third paragraph, we count upon attracting all nations to the task of erecting the new fundamental structure, the project for which has been drawn up by us. This is why, before everything, it is indispensable for us to arm ourselves and to store up in ourselves that absolutely reckless audacity and irresistible might of the spirit which in the person of our active workers will break down all hindrances on our way. Uh, what I took from this is that they must store up arms, anything that can be used to their benefit, like their control over our political geniuses, right? Their our, um, and it's also to point out in this, I know that like a lot of these are just one would, would take it as just a paragraph or just a, a part of the whole, right? Not to not to think too much about each paragraph, but there's so much in every single one of these. I mean, you have to understand each protocol is a singular meeting that they're having and they're putting so much thought into everything that they say. And in this third paragraph, they talk about absolute, in quotes, absolutely reckless audacity. Do you know what that is? It's fortitude. That's what I was talking about a couple couple of uh, protocols back. It's fortitude. I remember a long time ago, I was working at a construction site, and um, there were some straight-up savages that I worked with. And I can't remember how we got on the topic, but, um, you know, we were talking about, I don't know, somebody doing something that I didn't like, and... Um, I said something to the effect of, uh, I would kill him. I can't remember what it was exactly. But what I do remember was the response of one of these fellas who, um, has spent some time in, uh, in prison, uh, most specifically was military prison. And his response to me was, uh, you don't have it in you to kill somebody. You have to understand fortitude. It's what I talk about when I say that every man has a limit, right? They have that thing in life that they care for more than anything else. You have it in your life. Other people have it in theirs, right? That even the people that commit suicide, maybe they didn't, they weren't taken to that limit to, um, or, or thought about that thing that they cared more than anything about. And they ended up killing their life, their, themselves before 
you know, they were taken to that limit. They reached a different limit or from a different angle, and that's what caused them to get to that point. But what you have to understand is there is a limit that you can push any man, and they will take a swing. But some, for some men, it has to be in a certain way. But that's all fortitude. And that's the difference between a lot of people. Understand this. Uh, Hitler wasn't um, overbearingly um, intimidating. He wasn't six foot five, full of muscles. You know, had been in a hundred fights, you know, killed 30 men or whatever. I don't know how many killed, how many people he killed in World War One. But um, my point is, is that he wasn't, he wasn't um, the tip, you know, the, the, the apex of man, basically, right? But what he had above others certainly was char uh, charisma, but he had fortitude. He had something that he wanted, and he had the will to get to that point. Does that make sense? Some people just don't have fortitude. I'm not saying it's necessarily something that uh, makes you a good person or a bad person. But fortitude is something that these people knew very well. And they talk about it quite often. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Paragraph 4. When we have accomplished our coup d'etat, we shall say then to the various peoples, everything has gone terribly badly. All we have been worn out with sufferings. We are destroying the causes of your torment, nationalities, frontiers, differences of coinages. You are at liberty, of course, to pronounce sentence upon us, but can possibly be a just one? if it is confirmed by you before you make any trial of what we are offering you. That was all in quotations, mind you. Then will the mob exalt us and bear us up in their hands in a unanimous triumph of hopes and expectations, voting which we have made the instrument which will set us on the throne of the world by teaching even the very smallest units of members of the human race to vote by means of meetings and agreements by groups, will then have served its purpose and will play its part in them for the last time by, by a unanimity. Fuck unanimity of desire to make close acquaintance with us before condemning us. This is a confusing paragraph. It's just confusing. And I can't remember the different um, strategies that this would be named, but I think, I think in a way this is a bit of a, 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 a more of a Hegelian dialectic. Um, in terms of... The quotation marks is what, what kind of sets me apart. Because they're saying... They're, they're, they're pointing out that the, the mob would see them as having failed the mob. But then to turn around and like to the point where the mob would want to put them to death, but then to turn around and offer them the answer that would turn the mob's anger towards um, praise. It just doesn't make a lot of sense what this paragraph is standing for. Um, so anyway, in parts of breaking this down, uh, they're stating things to the effect of destroy the countries of the world, yet allowing themselves to be blamed. Um, but in the same sense, blame everything that was beneficial to us outside of them. Because in this, uh, right, they state we are destroying the cares of your torment, nationalities, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
um, frontiers, differences of coinages. I mean, that's leading to a one-world currency. Um, they're attesting to it, to the idea that they were in control of all of it publicly. Um, <laughs> I stated here too that this is brilliant. I just don't know exactly how to explain it. Um, yeah, the currency cashless societies, um, which I do want to make a note of is that once they get to a cashless society or uh, one world currency, what they're wanting to go towards is a cashless society in which you're going to have the chips that are implanted. Um, but that's, that's a little ways down the way. Fuck, what was the name of that country that did it? It's over, it's like just west of um, Russia. It's like the most, oh, excuse me, the most northeast Europe country. Can't think of it. Um, what they have pointed out throughout this is that voting will be key. Uh, the, uh, the instrument, essentially, um, and what they're talking about in here in groups is that, uh, or what I think they're describing as groups are uh, special interest groups. Maybe lobbyists, but I think more so in the sense of special interest groups. Um, what is this that they're talking about for the last time? Oh, fuck. Just lost my place. Or did I? Nope, I'm good. For the last time. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is just a... This one paragraph in its own is just such a confusing paragraph. So why not read it one more time? Uh, this time, hopefully a little bit more cognizant? No? Clear. When we have accomplished our coup d'etat, we shall say to them, to the various peoples, everything has gone terribly badly. All have been worn out with sufferings. We are destroying the causes of your torment. Nationalities, frontiers, differences of coinages. And then this part is what really gets me and what kind of throws me for a loop. You are at liberty, of course, to pronounce sentence upon us, but can it possibly be a just one if it is confirmed by you before you make any trial of what we are offering you? Hmm, that's just so odd to me. Then will a mob exalt us and bear us up in their hands? I mean, are they coming from like a, a humble angle? To try and play that, uh, man, what is that position? So many words I can't think of right now. Of where, like, you're a, um, you're, you wouldn't hurt a fly, and yet you're a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Hmm. Anyway, then will the mob exalt us and bear us up in their hands in a unanimous triumph over hopes, I'm sorry, triumph of hopes and expectations. Voting, which we have made the instrument, which will set us on the throne of the world by teaching even the very smallest units of members of the human race to vote by means of meetings and agreements by groups. This is what I'm talking about with groups, maybe special interest groups, will then have served its purpose and will play its part then for the last time. The last time, the last voting time? Is that what they're meaning here? For the last time. So one last vote. In order to put them in power. To make it a... A, a despotic... Dis, a despotic... Dictatorial... Man, what is words I'm looking for? One last time. So getting rid of all voting. One last time to vote for all votes. By unanimity... A unanimity of desire to make close, close acquaintance with us before condemning us. Such a fucking confusing paragraph. Anyway, on to paragraph five. To secure this, we must have everybody vote without distinction of classes and qualifications in order to establish an absolute majority, which cannot be got from the educated propertied classes in this way by inculcating in all a sense of self-importance we shall destroy 
among the goyim the importance of the family and its educational value and removed the possibility of individual minds splitting off for the mob handled by us will not let them come to the front nor even give them a hearing it is accustomed to listen to us only who we pay it for obedience and attention in this way we shall create a blind mighty force which will never be in a position to move in any direction without the guidance of our agents. Remember the people that I was talking about prior to this? The superhumans, if you would? Or, um, yeah, the super super soldiers of our agents set at its head by us as leaders of the mob. The people will submit to this regime because it will know that upon these leaders will depend its earnings, gratifications, and the receipt of all kinds of benefits. Man, that sounds like socialism, doesn't it? Um, to and through, it sounds like socialism slash communism. Right? Once they got you, they really got you by the ball hairs. Um, yeah, that's exactly what that sounds like. And I want to point out prior to this, what they were talking about with voting in paragraph four. What did we just go through in this past year, right? Remember November? And they're, they're um, talking about it in here of them controlling it. And then now in this paragraph talking about uh, the importance of the family or destroying in the Goyim, the importance of the family and its educational value. Interesting, yeah? So voting. Um, they must have everybody vote without distinction of classes and qualifications. Um, we're seeing right now down in Georgia, right, the anti-voting laws or what they call um, anti-voting laws. Is that what they're calling it? Anyway, you have people who are trying to set up um, laws in order to prevent non-citizens from voting or people who should be able to vote from voting. And then you have people who are fighting against it, which are the Democrats, because that's the only way that they can win is through cheating. Let's be honest with ourselves. That's exactly what it is. It's not to say that I'm on the side of the Republicans, but I can see, and so can most, uh, what the Democrats are doing. They cheat. It's just what they do. When you don't have any morale or a moral foundation, nothing is uh, is too far for you. Um, also in this absolute majority, those actually educated wouldn't fall for this shit. So they're going after the educated. What do they call them? The educated. Hold on, let me go back to this real quick. The educated propertied classes. So I have an issue. Um, also in this, uh, the, the family and its educational value. They want you dumbed down. Well, what does, what does academia do to our kids nowadays? It dumbs them down. It breaks them all the way down and then builds them up in their own image, right? Because they're afraid of those who are smart enough to see through this shit. So the absolute majority, uh, those actually educated wouldn't fall for this shit. Um, the answer is control the education and bring them in on the deal. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're controlling um, academia and then bringing these people in who they have um, groomed into reacting the way that they want to with the information that they've given them, that they've already controlled textbook companies um i've worked in this in that in that industry for quite some time i can tell you uh the left has the has total control over the source of information um that's being taught to our children uh most certainly um in k through 12 but also in college 
self-important focus on special interest groups. Yeah, so again, they're wanting to focus on these special interest groups. Um, they touch on family, destroy among the goyim, the importance of the family. If you remember um, when BLM had their website up, when they first put it up, um, this was one of their tenets was to destroy the traditional family because of its edge. Well, I have to assume it's one of the things was because of its educational value, especially within the black community. Absolutely. And remove the possibility of individual minds splitting off. Yeah, they're real afraid of people thinking for themselves. Again, because it leads people to not adhere to suggestive influence. So they recognize that the strength of the nuclear family actually leads to people's individual thought. See why family is so fucking important? And what our country, I mean, if we want to exist as a country, it's really, again, as much shit as I've talked about Islam, something that I have to give them credit for is their adherence to their family structure. All right? Husband, wife, children, and they are very fucking serious. In fact, I think it was England. There's a city in England somewhere where they were trying to, to teach this, um, I don't know, it had something to do with gay or, or maybe trans something. And the people that finally came out and spoke out against him and got him to quit were Muslims. So, you know, got to give credit where credit's due. They want, in this paragraph, they're essentially saying that they want us to listen to them only. Because they want total fucking control. Paragraph 6. A scheme of government should come ready-made from one brain because it will never be clinched firmly if it is allowed to be split into fractional parts in the minds of many. It is allowable, therefore, for us to have cognizance of this scheme of action, but not to discuss it lest we disturb its artfulness, the interdependence of its component parts, the practical force, of the secret meaning of each clause, to discuss and make alterations in a labor of this kind by means of numerous votings is to, is to impress upon it the stamp of all ratio, ratiocinations and misunderstandings which have failed to penetrate the depth and nexus of its plottings. We want our schemes to be forcible and suitably concocted. Therefore, we ought not to fling the work of genius of our guide to the flank to the fangs of the mob or even of a select company. Again, there's so much in here that is just slightly confusing or hard to register. But in my breakdown of this specific paragraph, um, it's a bit of a pyramid theory of control. Uh, it's easier to control with less leaders, um, easier also to control less people, um, which you may have drawn or, or come to that conclusion if you ever knew about the Georgia Guidestones, which I highly suggest you check out. Um, in this, and I guess the, the confusing part of it is not they don't want to talk I guess, ad nauseum about the scheme with one another. Um, I guess that is to say uh, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Or, to apply it to this, the first rule of Despot Club is to not talk about the Despot Club. Um, maybe it's in a sense to not overanalyze everything, to trust the process, as they say. Um but again, this is just another paragraph that it's one that I don't fully understand. Paragraph 7. These schemes will not turn existing institutions up, upside down just yet. 
they will only affect changes in their economy and consequently in the whole combined movement of their progress, which will thus be directed along the paths laid down in our schemes. It's essentially a slow process. In other words, a cancer. They have patience, and that is a virtue. Uh, paragraph 8. Under various names, there exists in all countries approximately one and the same thing. Representation, ministry, senate, state council, legislative and executive corps. I need not explain to you the mechanism of the relation of these institutions to one another, because you are aware of all of that. Only take note of the fact that each of the above-named institutions corresponds to some important function of the state, and I would beg you to remark that the word important I apply not to the institution, but to the function. Consequently, it is not the institutions which are important, but their functions. These institutions have divided up among themselves all the functions of governments, administrative, legislative, executive, Wherefore, they have come to operate as do the organs in the human body. If we injure one part in the machinery of state, the state falls sick like a human body and will die. Paragraph 8 of Protocol 10. I've already talked about this shit is important. This is extremely important. And it makes me feel good because it's, um, is it validation? I've been validated? Is that the word? Vindicated. In the things that I've talked about for so long that I've only heard a few others. I don't want to say that they touched on it specifically, but in a roundabout way, they've talked about this exact thing. And they are explaining it right here. They're describing all of the industrial complexes. You've heard and probably have heard of the military industrial complex. But this is describing the thing that I have been fucking ragging on for years now. All of the industrial complexes. This paragraph explains in deep detail exactly what I have been talking about. When it comes to the, the meshing together of all of them together. And that in here, I mean, it goes even further, which I wouldn't necessarily say it's just the function. I think that the, the um, institutions themselves to them are incredibly important. But here they're stating it's not. That their importance is their function, not their existence. Again, um, all of this is something that I've explained in numerous podcasts prior to, to this. Paragraph 9. When we introduced into the state organism the poison of liberalism, its whole political complexion underwent a change. States have been seized with a moral illness, blood poisoning. All that remains is to await the end of their death agony. It's almost like they keep jumping back and forth with this. Um, they, re, they recognize liberalism, and this is what's weird. They recognize liberalism as a blood poisoning. But I don't know if they're talking about classical liberalism or modern-day liberalism in this effect. Chapter 10. Liberalism... Liberalism produced constitutional states, so that makes me think it's, it's classical liberalism, which took the place of what was the only safeguard of the goyim, namely despotism, which is a word I was looking for earlier. And a constitution, as you well know, is nothing else but a school of discords, misunderstandings, quarrels, disagreements, fruitless party agitations, party whims, in a word, a school of everything that serves to destroy the personality of state activity. The tribune of the talkeries has no less effectively than the press condemned the rulers 
to inactivity and impotence, and thereby rendered them useless and superfluous, for which reason indeed they have been in many countries deposed. Then it was that the era of republics became possible of realization, and then it was that we replaced the ruler by a caricature of a government, by a president taken from a mob, from the midst of our puppet creatures, our slaves. This was the foundation of the mine which we have laid under the Goy people. I should say, rather, under the Goy peoples. So in this they believe that a, a republic is inevitable to fail and that despotism is our strength. And then they take credit for it? After bashing it? Again, this is like a... I mean... Like, I understand it, but fuck is it hard to describe this shit. <sighs> I mean, in a way, it's like it's understanding that, like, what they're saying here is that a constitutional republic would, um, is what has caused the fall of kings and dictators and things of that nature, which is true. But I also get a strong sense that they're believing that it's a, a weakness to us, where we here in the States obviously feel as though... It's one of our, our greatest strengths. Chapter 11. Um, in the near future, we shall establish the responsibility of presidents. By that time, we shall be in a position to disregard forms in caring through matters for which our personal puppet will be responsible. What do we care if the ranks of those striving for power should be thinned? If there should arise a deadlock from the impossibility of finding presidents, a deadlock which will finally disorganize the country. Uh, near future, I guess, um, they're talking about here the establishment or establish the responsibility of presidents. I don't know if this is like a prediction of what they were going to do. Um, get in here, uh, what they stated, uh, or I'm quoting, disregard forms, the possibility of finding presidents. These are things that are just like, what are they talking about? The possibility of finding presidents through, through the, the, the pool of people to pick from. Although we've almost, I don't want to say that we're necessarily a caste system, but it's it's kind of getting to that point, right? Where uh, this has been talked about for decades on end that you have to be a multimillionaire in order to become president for the most part. Or come about it politically. But even then, you would have to still somehow get the cash, right? Chapter 12, and this one is um, extremely important. In order that our scheme may produce this result, we shall arrange elections in favor of such presidents as have in their past some dark, undiscovered stain, some quote-unquote Panama, or other than they will be trustworthy agents for the accomplishment of our plans out of fear of revelations and from the natural desire of everyone who has attained power, namely, the retention of privileges, advantages, and honor connected with the office of president. Who do we have sitting in office right now? And the usurper-in-chief, how many, how many things does he have against him? His son, his dealings in Russia and China, certainly China. How many things does he have in his past? And that's just what we know. Maybe happenstance when it comes to the laptop, his son's laptop, but many other things. You know, bragging about the quid pro quo with Ukraine. I mean, there's all sorts, of, and that's just what we know. What about all the things that we don't know? I think they're specifically talking about, and it's not just him. I think 
um, Barack Obama, George Bush Sr., George Bush, possibly Reagan, and some others. To continue in chapter, or I'm sorry, paragraph 12, the Chamber of Deputies will provide cover for, will protect, will elect the president, but we shall take from it the right to propose new or make changes in existing laws, for this right will be given by us to the responsible president, a puppet in our hands. Naturally, the authority of the president will then become a target for every possible form of attack, but we shall provide him with a means of self-defense and the right of an appeal to the people. For the decision of the people over the heads of their representatives, that is to say, an appeal to the same blind slave of ours, the majority of the mob. Independently of this, we shall invest the president with the right of declaring a state of war. We shall justify this last right on the ground that the president, as chief of the whole army of the country, must have it at his disposal. In case of need for the defense of the new Republican Constitution, the right to defend which will belong to him as the responsible representative of this Constitution. Holy shit. I mean, this is like down to the Hildeberg meetings. Every president except for Trump has attended them. They talk about in here and protecting uh, their puppet that they call their puppet, which I also agree with. Yeah, he's their puppet. In self-defense, um, they use the mainstream media and, and, and etc. in order to protect him, in order to sway and influence the public, the mob, into extreme confusion for them. Um, paragraph 13, it is easy to understand that in these conditions, the key of the shrine will lie in our hands and no one outside of ourselves will say, I'm sorry, will any longer direct the force of legislation. This is total control or delusion of grandeur. Attempted total control. Uh, paragraph 14, besides this, we shall, with our introduction of the new Republican Constitution, take from the Chamber of the Right of Interpolation on government measures on the pretext of preserving political secrecy, and further, we shall, by the new Constitution, reduce the number of representatives to a minimum, thereby proportionately reducing political passions and the passion for politics. I don't know if this means, like, term limits. And they're agreeing with term limits? I don't know. If, however, they should, which is hardly to be expected, burst into flame. Even in this minimum, we shall nullify them by a stirring appeal and a reference to the majority of the whole people. Upon the president will depend the appointment of presidents and vice presidents of the chamber and the senate. Instead of constant sessions of parliaments, we shall reduce their sittings to a few months. Moreover, the president, as chief of the executive power, will have the right to summon and dissolve parliament, and, in the latter case, to prolong the time for the appointment of a new parliamentary assembly. But in order that the consequences of all these acts, which in substance are illegal, should not, prematurely for our plans, fall upon the responsibility established by us of the president. We shall instigate ministries and other officials of the higher administration about the president to evade his dispositions by taking measures of their own, for doing which they will be made the scapegoats in his place. This part we especially recommend to be given to be played by the Senate, the Council of State, or the Council of Ministers but not to an individual, an individual official. Fuck. There, there's 19 paragraphs. We just finished 14. Um, to break this down, uh, with these plans in place, essentially what they're saying is that with these plans in place, their placement in power 
they shall implement said plans and be able to stay in secret, increase their power while reducing their positions of power. Which is, again, kind of confusing throughout all this. If things don't go to plan, they rest upon their control over the mob. It would be certainly BLM and Antifa, but I don't, I think it's, it's more vast than that. It, this would not just be BLM or Antifa, but etc. A whole bunch of, as they talked about prior or earlier in this protocol, the smallest of groups, right? These, these um, special interest groups. Um, they'll use their leaders to reduce seats of power, then increase them. Or both, I mean, again, this is slightly confusing. Then cause a conflict or a inner war amongst the seats of power, right? Confusion and things of that nature. It just, uh, it's almost a divide and, and conquer strategy. Paragraph 15, the present, and these are all shorter paragraphs, by the way. The paragraph will, at our discretion, interpret the sense of such of the existing laws as admit of various interpretation. He will further annul them when he, we indicate to him the necessity to do so. Besides this, he will have the right to propose temporary laws, executive, i.e. executive orders, and even new departures in the government constitutional working. The pretext both for the one and the other being the requirements for the supreme welfare of the state. Again, the president is their puppet. Um, they could also be describing uh, the increase of executive orders and all of this. Yeah, I kind of talked about that. Um, yeah. Paragraph 16. By such measures, we shall obtain the power of destroying little by little, step by step, all that at the outset when we enter on our rights, we are compelled to introduce into the constitutions of states to prepare for the transition to an imperceptible abolition of every kind of constitution. And then the time is come to turn every form of government into our despotism. Essentially, once they have accomplished all of this, they will reveal themselves. This is all the massive plan, and they're just describing it all in detail. Paragraph 17, the recognition of our despot may also come before the destruction of the Constitution. The moment for this recognition will come when the peoples, utterly wearied by the irregularities and incompetence, a matter which we shall arrange for of their rulers, will clamor. These are all the people who are going to clamor. Away with them, this is quote, in quotes, away with them. And give us one king over all the earth who will unite us and annihilate the causes of discords, being frontiers, nationalities, religions, state debts, who will give us peace and quiet, which we cannot find under our rulers and representatives. So they're to drive us so crazy um, that we will request this. We will request our own destruction. Um Again, this is some bit of a delusion of grandeur and arrogance, believing that everyone will call for the, this despotism. Um, but then again, look at how so many people call for the vaccine. You know, maybe they're right um, for the sheep. Anyway, maybe they're correct. That's what I mean. Not that they're necessarily right. Uh, certainly not moral, but maybe they're correct in this, that, that the majority of people will call upon them. And that those good men that we've heard so many times before, um, the indifference of good men or the the inactivity of good men who do nothing. And that's and the greater sin lies on us because we didn't do anything. Paragraph 18. But you yourselves perfectly well know that to produce the possibility of the expression of such wishes by all the nations, it is indispensable to trouble in all countries the people's relations with their governments so as to utterly exhaust humanity with dissension, hatred, struggle, envy, and even by the use of torture, by starvation, 
by the inculcation of diseases, by want, so that the goyim see no other issue than to take refuge in our complete sovereignty, in money, and in all else. By the way, in this paragraph, in all caps and italics, it states, by the inculation of diseases, what are we going through right now? This fucking virus, right? This is divide and conquer. Make life so miserable and then blame it on all of these other things. And then they'll come in as the hero. This is, again, problem, reaction, solution. The Galian dialectic. And last short paragraph, 19. But if we give the nations of the world a breathing space... The moment we long for is hardly likely to ever arrive. Essentially, they're stating here that they will not deviate. One mistake may ruin it all, and they are not going to take that chance. They are sticking to this wholeheartedly. This was a, an, an, a severely important protocol number 10 um i highly suggest reading it yourself and checking it out sorry i had to be so quiet and couldn't be as active and i don't have my intro and outro for this one it will be on for the next one but uh by all means let me know how i did you can email me at me tv 1105 at gmail.com that's metv 1105 gmail.com get a hold of me on parlor telegram Facebook, I can't think, oh, um, BitChute, YouTube, what's that last one, Gab, uh, you can get a hold of, oh, and MeWe too, you can get a hold of me on those, just look out for my name, or search for my name, John, traditionally spelled J-O-H-N, uh, O apostrophe M-U-R-C-H-A-D-H-A, John Omerchata, and let me know. Um, hopefully next time I won't have, have to keep my voice down. So anyway, until then, be accountable, be responsible. Don't be accountable.